David Morgan, author of The Silver Investor, that you go to www.silver-investor.com, rather, home of The Morgan Report, also author of The Silver Manifesto. David joins me on the line now. David, appreciate you taking the time with us, and I want to start with the big question is, we have seen the geopolitical risk rise, whether it's ISIS, other issues in the Middle East, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's South China Sea. We've seen central banks in Japan, in Europe, in uh, the U.S. all have massive uh, money creation programs uh, underway. Normally, we'd be told that that's what would propel silver and gold higher. That hasn't been the case. Why not? Great question, Michael. And just to restate it slightly i mean you couldn't have said it better there's nothing more going on in the world that wouldn't support the strongest fundamentals for investing in the precious metals and they're not going up why because there is enough of a paradigm between the paper market and the physical market but as the transhumanists like to say we're reaching the point of singularity and what that means is that there's enough paper shuffling out there to satisfy the market today, but that may not be the case tomorrow. We have a lot of evidence of that, especially on the gold side, and we'll talk about the silver side. So as a point of fact, number one, the ETFs on the gold side have been drained rather substantially. Secondly, the amount of gold that's physically located in the COMEX at this point in time is such a pitifully small amount that a very average-sized hedge fund could take delivery of the entire amount. And I'll have to go on from there, Michael, because everyone will say, why don't they do it? And believe me, there's probably no one else as actively added, uh, wanting that to happen than myself. However, you have to think it through. If you were to be that entity that took or stood for delivery for that last pitifully small amount of gold on the COMEX, what would come at you? There'd be a lot of going on, even in the mainstream press, of why did you do it? Are you trying to take down the market? You're disrupting things. You're, you know, there'd be so much naming, shaming, and blaming that goes on in this politically correct environment. It would be like the most unpolitically correct thing you could do, even though it could be done quite easily. So people that think it through probably do not want to have that kind of negative publicity. However, it could happen anyway, especially if it was a foreign entity, as an example. So further on the gold side, you have massive amounts of physical wheat that is being accumulated in China, India, Asia, really. And so what we have is this point, this tipping point, the singularity where the physical market and the paper markets will have to converge at one point, at some point in time, and I think it's fairly close, you will see where the paper paradigm cannot, will not cover the amount of physical demand. Now, going a step further, most of the gold that's delivered is obviously not off the COMEX. They don't have any for all practical purposes. And it's peer-to-peer, meaning that you have like the smelter refining community that does deals through the bullion banking system, which takes delivery in the -the over-the-counter market. So in other words, this type of gold delivery that you hear about constantly isn't like the kind of retail dealership or even some of the wholesale dealerships that most people are familiar with that listen to your show, Michael. This is actually a step beyond that, which is where the raw 
uh, concentrate comes in, <clears throat> excuse me, smelted, refined, and then it goes direct to these, let's say, uh, big bullion banks where they make these deals. So it's sort of, uh, a, it's more than a two-tiered market, but we'll call it a two-tiered market. The market that you see that sets the price, which is basically a fiction largely, and then there's the retail market that keeps squeezing down the differential between what really physically exists in, in reality and the paper markets that can create an infinite amount of it. On the silver side, everything I said to gold applies uh, as much, if not stronger, because on the silver side, there's the Silver Users Association, which is a band of good old boys that have a an edict to, amongst themselves, make sure that most of the silver flows through the system I just described. And on top of that, the little guy, or we the people, as we like to refer, refer to it here in the States, have been buying hand over fist since the financial crisis of 2008. And I want to emphasize the point, Michael, that since the financial crisis of 2008, the demand for silver has gone through the roof. And the reason being is a lot of little people, or we the people, get it. And what we get is it is a safe haven. So as much as the negative mainstream media portrays these as non-events and who cares about gold and silver, the truth of the matter is the physical markets are both robust and it's only the paper paradigm that keeps people in this negative psychology. And that's the main point I want to make. The psychology shifted from positive to negative when silver dropped below 26 and gold dropped below 1550 and it's maintained that negative psychology ever since. When we look at the actual, uh, you know, mining companies themselves, obviously, I think it would make a phenomenal difference which jurisdiction they're operating in. I mean, I was looking at the gold price in Canadian dollars this week is up, as an example. Why? Because the Canadian dollar fell, you know, rather sharply against the U.S. dollar. Uh, in Mexico, you'd feel the have the same experience, especially when you look at companies like our countries, rather like Brazil, like Venezuela. I mean, you have to take that local currency into account. And I got a feeling, I, I don't want to be a U.S.-producing uh, kind of company, but it must be different when you go to other parts of the world because their currencies have fallen almost as dramatically as gold against the uh, U.S. dollar. Absolutely true. And, you know, I think you've said it well, but what I'd like to add on to that is depending on the structure of the mining company, or we could apply this to companies in general, if you have borrowed in U.S. dollars and your local mm. currency is depreciating, you've got a real problem, and here's why. Because you are actually paying in a currency that is depreciating, but you borrowed in a stronger currency, which makes it much more difficult to pay back that loan. And unfortunately, the way the system is set up, and I believe this is totally deliberate, is most producing mining companies have to go into some type of debt financing which requires the bank to be in charge because he who you know loans the money makes the rules. And so some of these countries certainly have a higher gold price in their currencies, backed well taken. But if you look further into the mining sector, which we're, we're discussing, then it can be problematic. I, that's an excellent point, though, because we talk an awful lot about the amount of, uh, not necessarily related specifically to gold companies, but the, around, uh, the amount of emerging market debt out there, I think, is a real problem for exactly as you described, David, which is, you know, you've got their local currencies plummeting 
and they got to repay in U.S. dollars. So that's another kind of check mark that you'd have to uh, examine very closely before making an investment. Uh, despite, as they say, in local currency, the gold price itself may be up, but if they borrowed in U.S. dollars, yeah, that would be very problematic at this point. So tell me your quick assessment of the, and you can divide it, gold and silver or one or the other, but of the sort of mining side of that. Well, Michael, I'm going to uh, digress slightly on this, and I think you'll be pleased with what I have to say. Uh, this is something that we've been working on for over two years, and this is something that I think could be the catalyst. I mean, all of us that are in this sector are looking for some type of catalyst that can, you know, make us happy again. In other words, give us some hope mm-hmm. or some drive. And this has to do with the mining side, and it has to do with the junior mining sector only, which, for the record, I don't specialize in, but certainly I spend a lot of time there. And when we speculate, we recommend money you can afford to lose, but spec- and that's why we call it a speculation. But on this two-year study that we've done, we have a situation, and I'm going to digress to go back in the history of silver. Uh, if you look back in the early 80s, and of course I've been through two bull markets due to my age and interest in the topic, there was uh, Jerome Smith was a silver guru in those days, and he talked about you know, in the mid-90s, we're going to run out of silver. And you know what? It took me a long time to figure out what his fatal error was. And his fatal error was that at the time, you could not produce more than 385 million ounces of silver annually. That was absolutely the correct data, and that was for decade after decade after decade. So if you made that assumption, which was valid when he made it, you could project out, okay, you mine 385 million, we're using this much per year, and there's that singularity point I talked about at the beginning of the show. Something's got to give at some point in time. I'm calling it the mid-90s. And he was actually conservative, and he was projecting like $200 silver. What happened? About the time the ink dried on the last book, what happened was there was a huge shift in the way that uh, the mining industry was able to uh, get gold and silver from the deposits. And this caused a huge increase in the amount of productivity of the mining industry, and therefore the 385 million ounce uh, per year mining was absolutely blown away. It just kept going 400, 500, 600. Now we're at almost um, 800 million ounces of silver per year. So he made that mistake. So when I discovered it and talked about it uh, at uh, one of the shows that uh, Nina puts on, the World Outlook Conference, and the moderator gave me kudos because no one could ask, answer that question. Been asking for about ten years. I went on. So now we're in a situation that we have discovered where small deposits, this is the junior mining industry only, can gravity feed gold, and they can do it right on site. So what does this mean? It means a lot of things. Number one, if you're listening to the show and you have a junior mining company and you know that they have a gold value, of, let's say three grams or higher, that gravity feeds. You want to get a hold of me, and I'll give you that information at the end of the show. But this is something that will allow to progress the company without dilution. Why? Well, if you've got gravity feed gold on project, we can pull up this system and actually get the gold right there in your hands in a matter of a few weeks, actually. And then you can use that, sell it in the market, and sell finance. And this, again, isn't going to change Anglo-American that laid off thousands in the mining industry. It was reported this week. This is for the small opportunities that are really stuck in the mud because they can't finance. 
If you have gold, gravity feeds, you definitely want to know about this new technology. Is it going to be disruptive to the industry? Probably not. But in the junior space, it certainly will or could be something uh, that could be a bit of a paradigm shift. Certainly gives me a lot of hope. And I know there's a lot of really great people out there that are suffering because of the current conditions in our industry. Fascinating stuff with David Morgan. I want to tell you again, you go to him at www.silver-investor.com. Silver-investor.com, of course, author, editor of The Morgan Report. i got to take a break. I'll come back more with David Morgan, more on silver, more on gold, right here across the Chorus Radio Network. Canadian dollar oil up with Victor Adair live from the trading desk coming up. Aussie Jurek, brand new mortgage rules in Canada. We'll get to that. And a goofy award. This could have been my shocking stat. David Morgan from www.silver-investor.com was telling us a record amount of paper gold, meaning you might be in the futures market with a claim on gold. You might be an exchange-traded fund with a claim on gold. Well, this could have been my shocking stat. Just looking at a report from COMAX over the break here, 200, what is it, 293 ounces of gold claims per ounce of actually deliverable gold, if that made any sense at that point. So 293 ounces of paper gold out there, but you want to claim it, you want to redeem it, you want delivery of it from the futures market. Well, there's 293 ounces in paper for every one ounce of gold. That's the dynamic that David Morgan was talking about uh, there just before the break. He joins me on the line. Uh, David, Let's talk about then how to play this market at this point. I mean, uh, investors have had to have an inordinate amount of pressure, uh, of rather patience. But do you see us, and I know, and, and just tell me if it's just one of those things one can't do, but does it look like near a bottom to you? It does. You know, I must admit to all, everyone, and I do this on almost every show, uh, and people tell me don't, but it's me. I've been much better calling the tops and the bottoms. I really think the bottom is in or close or close enough if you're a professional or even have a professional attitude. If you're an amateur and you think you can buy the exact bottom, go ahead. It's certainly in the buying zone. You should be accumulating like professionals. If you could buy silver under the cost of production for most of the major producing companies and gold in the same situation, obviously take a deep breath and think it through. You should be purchasing at these levels. I think I'll be consistent here that you should buy the physical metal first. Once that's accomplished, then certainly there's nothing more undervalued than almost every mining company that's worth its salt across the board. There are some in the junior space that are selling under cash, so you get the property or project for free. And these are ridiculous valuations, and anyone that understands value understands what I just said. I came back from the Silver Summit in San Francisco just a few weeks ago uh, around the Thanksgiving holiday here in the States, and the overall temperament was muted, and there were people that were certainly pulling out money for uh, special situations, but most people were kind of sitting on their hands, and again, I think we're looking for some type of catalyst. There needs to be some energy put back into this market, and I do believe that uh, it will happen in 2016. But referencing back to the San Francisco show, many of my colleagues, peers, et cetera, were stating they thought that we have another year in the doldrums or at these low prices. I disagree. I'll go on record. Uh, my track record hasn't been the best on these bottoms, but certainly it looks like a triple bottom in silver. 
it looks like gold could go down below the $1,000 level as a quick test. What we've seen in the last four years or so is that the lowest price print per year is on the last trading day of the year. How does that happen? Quite easily. These paper markets are very, very leveraged. Most of the traders take long vacations, they leave the exchange, and they don't trade at all. So there's very low volume. It's easy to move a market on very low volume. So those that are in there certainly can make some sales that have more impact because the market is what's called very thin. Do I expect that to take place again this year? Yes, I do. However, I want to cover myself slightly because, as you said, Michael, at the very beginning of the show, the fundamentals for owning gold and silver and the underlying equities is so strong right now. Maybe that countervailing uh, force will have some effect by the end of the year. I don't know for sure. Interesting point you're making, though, that, uh, you know, where the the buy zone starts is when you can't buy or rather the companies can't produce the metal at the same price you can buy it at. And uh, obviously that will dry up supply. You know, there won't be producing more if they can't do it at any kind of a break even, let alone a profit. And uh, that will shrink supply or at least put a cap on it. And then, of course, any increased demand, whether it's someone just literally taking delivery from a futures contract, et cetera, can put upward pressure. It's an interesting cri- uh, uh, criteria that I think people should think about. Thank you for that. I'd like to add on a little bit about, uh, you know, the industry at large. There are, as most have studied it, even... We've only a- got about one minute left, David. I'll just let you know. Sorry. Okay. Well, let me do this. I want everyone to get this free report on the uh, special technology. So you need to go to themorganreport.com. That's our another domain, www.themorganreport.com backslash new report. That's themorganreport.com backslash new report. It's absolutely, totally free. Mike, I'm doing this for you, for your show, for your listeners. Please spread the word. Please forward it to friends. themorganreport.com backslash new report. We will send it to you. It's going to take me about a week to put it together, but I want everyone to know about this new technology. And what I was going to say is that many gold mines mine at one gram per ton. E-waste, smartphones in a dumpster are three grams per ton. Think about that. These mining companies are going to be struggling. Interesting stuff, as always, with David Morgan, themorganreport.com, and get a hold of that uh, new report, because that that sounds like absolutely fascinating stuff. David Morgan, silver-investor.com. Take a break. Shocking stat coming up. New mortgage rates. We'll chat with that or not mortgage rates, mortgage rules, rather. We'll chat with Ozzy Jurek about that coming up in just a couple of minutes' time. Plus, I've got a goofy award for you. Victor Adair, oil market down to 35 and change. Canadian dollar under 73 cents. Both markets uh, clearly predicted on this show for the last 16 months. Uh, Well, in fact, when it comes to the Canadian dollar, we've been doing that since October 2012. A very strong recommendation to have cash in U.S. dollars. That's what I love about this business. We'll find out if your approach, if your methodology, or if it's just simply your opinion is valid with a very clear measurement. Just a reminder, by the way, though, this is a pivotal time. We're hitting our targets that we have expressed very clearly, as I just alluded to. Well, the World Outlook Conference is coming up January 29th and 30th. You heard those those and many other recommendations, and I, I don't think there's a organization or event like it in this country for being accurate and correct in making its prognostications, its forecasts about where to make money, where to be careful, uh, you know, what to avoid, that kind of stuff. Well, we'll be doing it again January 29th and 30th at the Western Bayshore. 
And uh, I'll just, again, this is my big thing, but I, I see it more and more as these events unfold. Uh, believe me, you're not going to be able to ignore them much longer. Try, try exchanging money this weekend. I'm always blown away by how little interest economic events are and financial events are, really broadly speaking. Come on, wouldn't you agree with me that if we took a kind of a test across the country, people would know more about Kim Kardashian or our prime minister's hair than they would about these events, these very real events that are impacting people in a profound, dramatic way. Uh, I mean, you just look at the ripple effect of the oil market. Talking earlier today with Michael Levy about negative interest rates. No, it's not the preferred scenario, but it's not a big stretch, given that we get zero on our checking accounts right now. It turns the world upside down with these events, and that's why I think things like the World Outlook Conference, obviously I think it's worth my time on Money Talks, and I'm hoping it's worth your time to listen every week. But here's the big thing. I think it is absolutely essential that young people uh, become familiar with these topics. They're not getting taught in school. Even at the university level, you have to be very subject-specific to get this stuff. And that's why we're just so pleased that Valeo, which is myvaleo.com, myvoleo.com, has helped us and step forward to sponsor our student ticket package. That means if you buy a ticket, I think we have about 100 more now made available thanks to the sponsorship of Valeo. Uh, so you can bring for free, uh, you know, uh, if you've got a young adult in the house, a niece, nephew, etc. I think it makes for a great weekend. And if you're not in Vancouver, I think it's even more fun. Uh, what a great connection to go and visit and chat with people. Remember at the Outlook Conference, you get a chance to actually chat with the experts yourself. We make time available so you to go up and chat with these people, whether it's Mark Leibovit, uh, you know, who's been Timer's Digest, Timer of the Year, Joseph Schachter, who's been absolutely right on with his oil projections, uh, you know, John Johnston, right on with his Canadian dollar projections, and I am really looking forward. He's going to unveil his latest at the World Outlook Conference. You can go up and talk with them. And uh, that's why I think it's just key to bring a younger person who's not getting exposed to this material along with you. And so it's very simple to do it. Just go to www.moneytalks.net, click on events. But as I say, thanks to Leo, we do have a free student package there. But if not, you don't have someone, just come along and we will make you some money. We have a brand new thing. I'll chat with Ozzy Jurek. Well, he's going to do a specific real estate section. And Ozzy's going to be there. Jeff Olin, who I'm really looking forward to hearing, he'll also be there. So lots happening that way. Time for now for this week's shocking stat. The challenge you get into when you borrow money is if you have to actually borrow more just to service the debt. A lot of stuff written about the Canadian's debt-to-equity ratio or debt-to-disposable income ratio. You know, you're just fine. I think it's been a bit overdone. It's never too bad to be cautious, but it's been overdone as long as your assets are increasing in value faster than your debt load. But, hey, it gets to be problematic, as a Morgard study uh pointed out about a month ago in Canada, when people start to borrow just to meet their monthly obligations. That's the big warning sign. Looking at China, China should still be on the front burner when we talk about uh, economic concerns. Well, they've got a big problem. The amount of loans or bonds and shadow finance arranged in this past year to cover just the interest payments has risen 5% from the previous year, but is now $1.2 trillion. So they have to borrow 
just to make their interest payments. You know, they've had six central bank interest rate cuts in the last 12 months, still not enough to stem that. I mean, it's incredibly easy money, the easiest money ever in China. But the problem is that they can't afford the size of the debt. The amount of bad debt, by the way, among Chinese banks rose 10% in the third quarter from the previous three months. And again, you're looking in uh, you know, significant hundreds of millions of dollars. But as I say, I was shocked to see it had come to that degree. $1.2 trillion was borrowed in the last year so that companies could just simply meet their interest payments. That is an incredible red warning sign flashing hard, and it's, inc- and it's important for the rest of the world. I'll take a break. Come back. New mortgage rules. Ozzie Jurek, also Victor Adair, and a Goofy. Stay with us. One of the things I'm most looking forward to at the World Outlook Conference this year is Ozzie Jurek is helping us and uh, hosting the re- a whole real estate afternoon starting at 1 o'clock Friday, January 29th, going through uh, uh, for three, four, uh, four hours, I guess, on that. Uh, really looking forward to it. We're going to get a chance to get into real estate issues. And again, you hear Stephen Polos talk earlier about putting, all I'm saying, he's not saying it's happening, it's just putting in his toolbox negative interest rates. You heard Michael Levy earlier chat about that, where in fact in Denmark you've got some borrowers there, they take out a $100,000 mortgage, and how that works is every month your principal's reduced and you didn't make a payment. Uh, It's incredible, the sea changes, but Aussie at the World Outlook Conference has given fantastic advice by telling people as early as 2011 he was a buyer in the States of U.S. real estate, uh, taking advantage, obviously, of a massive change in the conver- uh, currency exchange rates since that time, a huge gain, but also picking uh, the bottom of the market comes with uh, great deals, took uh, lots of Canadians down there in different areas to have a look at them because he believes you have to do hands-on, but it's been a phenomenal investment. But yield is still on the table, is my point, referring back to Stephen Polos, and that's why real estate's going to take uh, front and center. We'll do that at the World Outlook Conference. We've never done it before. Looking forward to it, as I say. But there's been changes to the mortgage market I want to bring to your attention. Uh, the Canadian government, federal government, announced them yesterday. Ozzy joins me on the line now. Ozzy, in a moment, I'll ask you why, but let's just start with the nuts and bolts. What are the changes? Well, actually, essentially, the minimum down payment on insured mortgages increased from 5% to somewhat of a two-tiered system, which means that the minimum down payment on houses priced below 500000 will stay at 5%, and over over 500000 to a million there's sort of a ratio. So if you took, for instance, a $700,000 home, the minimum down payment today would be 35000 or 5%. In the future, it'll be 5% of 500000 and then 10% of the balance. So that would work out to about 45000 And so the down payment is really only going up from 5% to 6.4%. I know it sounds complicated, but it is really, in essence, really a very minor thing, according to Benjamin Tall from CIBC, he thinks it will affect only about 3.9% of the market. Now, you say it affects a small part of the market, but it must be a much bigger part of the market, uh, you know, because that's an average. It may be not infecting uh, too many people listening today from 100 Mile House, uh, you know, or uh, some other, um, the majority of communities, but it's got to be a big impact for Vancouver and Toronto single detached. Well, actually, you know, in Toronto and Vancouver, again, according to CIBC, it'll, it'll affect about 5% of the market. But 
banks are already asking for much higher down payments over mm. five hundred thousand anyways. You can't get a buy an eight hundred thousand dollar home with forty thousand down because they're bundling off the mortgage and securitizing them, and the, the rules are much tougher there. Also, prices uh, houses that are priced over a million they already require a down payment of twenty percent. And the markets, I think, in, in Vancouver and in Toronto, they're driven by millennials, low interest rates, strong economy, and foreign investment, and the down payment change is minimal. Which areas though, really affects is, is places like Montreal, but also Calgary. I mean, Calgary sells already down 36%, and there's a lot of high-ratio mortgages in Calgary, and quite a few homes over 500,000. And markets become the stories people tell about it. I think it will have a very negative effect on different markets than just Vancouver and Toronto. Uh, obviously, they must be doing it. Uh, you know, I mean, the subprime mortgage crisis, uh, you know, is that sort of ugly nightmare back in people's memories. And, and obviously, that's where the financial institutions didn't require enough down payment, because let's say if you put only 5% down, then you're underwater on your mortgage. If there's a, a, a correction in the market prices and you're forced to sell, that's more than 5%. So I, I got a feeling that's what they must be looking at. Oh, no question. And of course, the U.S., you would you borrow 100000 uh, buy a hundred thousand dollar home, they gave you a hundred and ten thousand dollar mortgage, so it was a lot worse. But yes, you're, you're you're correct. They're trying to make changes, and they are making changes already for the last three years, which are far more effective. I was talking to Dustin Woodhouse, sort of an ace mortgage broker, and he says. Actually, it was easier to qualify in 2008 at a 5% mortgage rate than it is today at a 2.5% because so many regulatory changes have been made because each reduction of the amortization, we went from 35-year mortgages to 25, well, that had an effect for every five years that it's like increasing the mortgage rates by about 1%. So Mm -hmm. it's much harder to get the mortgage. You can't get self-employed mortgages. Very, very difficult. The stated income mortgage is gone. And you have to have documentation up the yin-yang in order to get any, any kind of financing today. Interesting stuff. Let's go a couple of hot properties. Yeah, well, we like a 150-mile house. If you're into hunting and fishing, there's 40 acres there with a 1,300-square-foot building you can buy for $98,000. In Harrison Hot Springs, two bedroom, two bathroom, there's a river view. You can rent it out between 1200 and 1400 and it's on at 199 And then beautiful Gibson has a beautiful property at 158000 right downtown. And if you put on 20%, uh, your payment would be 591 The tenant pays 1250 Might be a great investment because the Sunshine Coast sales are up 80% and listings are down 30 which bodes well for the future. Yeah, I got a feeling that a lot of people have been selling in Vancouver. We don't have, I, don't, I can only speak anecdotally, of course, but uh, a lot of people selling that uh, single detached stucco in the west side of Vancouver for $2 million and then moving into Nanaimo, moving into Gibsons. You know, that's a process that I love. So, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, no, it's it's exciting. It's, it's been a long wait. You know, we have yeah. so much focus on the, the hot Vancouver market. We forget that a lot of areas right throughout British Columbia or throughout the country really haven't participated in those huge booms. Interesting stuff. That's the kind of thing, by the way, Ozzy will be talking about at the World Outlook Conference, uh, January 29th and 30th. Uh, he'll be there. Uh, you'll get to talk to him personally, which is uh, always great. But uh, he'll, of course, he's putting on uh, with us. You know, a great section on real estate there. It's going to be a terrific program. And you can just go to moneytalks.net and just click on the events. And I hope uh, to see you there. Ozzy, have a terrific weekend. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Mike. And with that kind of uh, information, I'm, I'm really excited because I'm looking forward to what I have to say myself. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> there you go. Ozzy Jurek, www.jurek.com. Take a break, come back. We're going live to the trading desk, and boy, I bet Victor Adair's got a sweatsuit on after a heavy week of Canadian dollar, of oil, of the stock market gyrations, and I've got a goofy award. Stay with us. Victor Dare will be at the World Outlook Conference. I hope you are too. And a reminder, you can go to moneytalks.net at any time and listen to uh, anything you've missed in the show. If you missed David Morgan or Michael Levy, um, uh, great stuff on the show today. Uh, big fat idea I thought was very interesting with Darcy Crow, uh, Senior Investment Advisor, Portfolio Manager at Canaccord Genuity Wealth management victor dare joins me on the line let's go live to the trading desk uh victor my gosh what a, what a week it must have been for you watching the incredible volatility but i've got to start with oil that's that seems to be the overhang of the entire market uh crude oil definitely in the spotlight uh but uh it certainly had what i would call knock-on effects on all the other markets and i know we haven't got time to get to all of that but uh just to come right to crude Price dropped down to $35 and change, so you know we're five bucks away from that magical $20 and something uh, level. Uh, we took out the previous lows that we had around 32 and a half. It's down 16% from where it was just before the OPEC meeting, you know. But Mike, I got to tell you, it's all across the space. You had natural gas trading to a buck 95. That's a 16-year low on that gas. Coal prices, uranium prices have just been clobbered here the past couple of years. Yes, crude get is in the spotlight, but it's the whole energy space that's getting hammered. And, of course, that then also feeds into things like the Canadian dollars down. You know, the Mexican peso fell the new all-time lows. And the debt that's been issued by these oil companies has also been hammered. So we're getting real action in the interest rate space. And just to finish it up, the shakes, the worries that are coming out of the crude oil market, the whole energy market, has got the stock market trembling as well. We had the Dow down 600 points on the week. Uh, just back, uh, just a little promo for next week. Bob Hoy is going to be with me because what hasn't got enough coverage is the problems, as you just alluded to, Victor, in the junk bond market and the oil sphere. Uh, what, I think there's been $13 billion worth of defaults in the oil companies at this point so far this year. There's going to be more to come, but that whole junk bond market is scaring the heck out of me. Let, let's go to the Canadian dollar again. A bang. You know, our number has been 70 cents for so long, and all of a sudden, my gosh, you feel like you could sniff that in an hour. Uh, let me say about Bobby Hoy, I've been following Bobby Hoy for years, and I'll tell you, he has been all over this widening in the credit market spreads. And it, may, it might sound a little boring to some people, but it's hugely important. I'm really looking forward to what he has to say. The Canadian dollar, yeah, I mean, the, it just got hammered here. Here's the thing on where we're at in the psychology in the market, okay? Crude is incredibly oversold. The, yeah. The, bearish supply-demand story just got even worse this year. It's too early to be a buyer, but by golly, it feels like, you know, there could be any, any number of little sparks that could set this market up because it's, it's so tipped to one side of the boat that anything happens, you know, the boat goes over the other way, and that would take the Canadian dollar higher as well. I actually, from my own account, short-term trading, stepped in and bought some Canadian dollars the late Thursday or Friday, at an 11-year low, it is a low, uh, a low-risk trade. In other words, if it doesn't rebound, I'm going to be gone quick. But I just couldn't help myself. It just seemed like it was probably a, uh, an opportunity. Uh, Vic, you got a one-word answer here. Are the Feds going to raise rates next week? Yes, they are. 
There you go. Victor Adair will be back. We'll talk about the repercussions of that and the currency markets and everything else next week. My thanks to Victor. My thanks to Michael. My thanks to Ozzy, uh, David Morgan. Remember, Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a technology-based investment, but it's a royalty one. That means you get paid first, and there's no fees attached. So for more information, go to soleraclub.com. Time now for the Goofy Award. You know, I've been warming for years. Don't let the celebrities be front and center on this climate debate. Well, here we have Leonardo DiCaprio. He's got his own environmental foundation. He claimed this week that the Calgary Chinooks are just one of the new consequences of climate change. He said, you see the fragility of nature, how easily things can be completely transformed with just a few degrees of difference. It's terrifying. And it's what people are talking about all over the world. And it's simply just going to get worse. What a joke. I mean, everybody in Calgary must have been shaking their hands at that thing. He declared that, by the way, at the String Actors Guild Foundation, so we're going to be sure that that kind of misinformation is going to get out there. But it's not helpful. Uh, you know, meteorologist Jordan Witzel, who acted as, by the way, a consultant on DiCaprio's soon-to-be-released uh, Revenant movie, whatever it's called, he says, in quotes, you cannot make a statement on climate change based on a weather event. Weather is what's happening now. Climate is what we would expect to happen in the future, end of quote. I mean, absolutely. I mean, the ignorance in that statement was pretty profound. We had President Obama last week claiming that fish are swimming in the streets of Miami. DiCaprio claiming Chinooks are a climate change result. This is not helpful. This is not helpful. That's all the time we have. That's why they get my goofy award. Go to moneytalks.net. Thanks for listening.